Welcome to another episode of Art Box. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I interview Kirsten Anderson. Kirsten is the owner of Brock LaRue Gallery in Seattle, Washington. She wrote the first book, or should I say, the first survey of pop surrealism, and was the editor-at-large and writer for High Fucose Magazine from 2007 to 2014. She started a wildlife conservation nonprofit called Creature Wildlife. We talk about how she started the gallery, pop surrealism, her philosophy on art, what advice she would give to artists, and much more. So, tune in and enjoy the interview. Hello. Hey, Jason, it's Kirsten. Hey, Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, great. Thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it, uh, especially on oh, your sure. d- day off, you know. <laughs> I know what it's yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, but I get to talk about art, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, let's just jump right into it. So, if you could just please tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got your start and how your gallery got started. Uh, Okay. Well, I have been uh, running a gallery for 21 years. I didn't go to school for it. My parents were artists and I grew up surrounded by art and doing art and just assumed that I would be an artist. And that was kind of my sort of my trajectory, even though I didn't really work that hard at it. Like I, I did paintings. I had these little shows, but nothing serious. And I was often very frustrated at my, at how good I wasn't <laughs> sort of <laughs> automatically. I just wasn't automatically awesome. And I, yeah. I kind of struggled with that. So as a result of, you know, I had like a show in a cafe and uh, that was quite popular in Seattle at the time kind of a hipster spot. And they said, Hey, you know, um, you probably know some artists. Do you have any ideas of who we should, you know, show? And, and so I was like, yeah, I know a lot of, I know a lot of artists. So I started curating this, this little cafe. So, I mean, talk about humble beginnings, like extremely humble beginnings. And, uh, I kind of liked it. I was like, you know, I, I actually enjoy promoting other people more than myself because I'm keenly aware of all the flaws in my work. But it's it's very easy for me to see the value and skill and talent in other people. And so I started doing, I had got the show from this idea from somewhere else. I didn't come up with it, but I can't remember where I got it from. And that was, I started that we had a, a, a club here called the Crocodile, which is sort of, you know, ground central for the whole grunge scene and, oh, yeah. and amazing music scene. This would be the early, um, mid nineties, probably. Right. Yeah. About 96, 97. And uh, I went to them. I said, I have an idea for an art show. It's going to be called the ATM art show. You go to the ATM, you pull out 40 bucks, you can buy a piece of art. And I got just a ton of artists to do just a tiny, small, original piece and put it in the show. And the idea was new collectors could come and pick up something by an artist, you know, real artist, (laughs) (laughs) you know, somebody who was active in the, the art scene or in a lot of cases, the underground comic book scene and, and buy and leave with a piece of art. And the artists kept all the money and, you know, they could pay a bill or something. That that was kind of the idea behind it. And so I did a few of those. They were extremely successful and really fun. Then the gallery came about in a very sort of weird, serendipitous way. And, and that was so, you know, right around this time that I was doing these ATM shows, my stepdad Bob had come back from doing a, a job. He, my parents had done a job in Egypt. He he said, you know, we made a ton of money. <laughs> and, uh, I 
I like that you're doing stuff. You know, I was working an art supply store. I, you know, it was just kind of floating around. I wasn't doing a lot, but I, I was really kind of on fire. Little curated shows I was doing. And he said, uh, I'm going to give all you kids, you know, my brother and sister, 5,000 bucks to do whatever you want to do. And, uh, you know, you know, you can spend on whatever you want, but my hope is that you will continue with this curating thing. You seem to really enjoy it. And I should, I should emphasize that this money gift was, was extremely rare. Uh, we grew up with not a lot of money and, you know, I was working, supporting myself since I was 17. And, you know, when we were young, it was like, I, I want some Nikes. And, yeah. <laughs> and it, the response was get a job. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, or you're getting Kmart sneakers. So, <laughs> you know, so this was a very generous gift and meaningful. You know, it, it wasn't just like, you know, here, kid, buy yourself something nice. It was it was a, a real expression of support. Uh, so uh, I was working at the art supply store and grumbling about it. And a friend of mine, just as an exercise, said, you know, if you could do anything in the world and you didn't need any money, you'd just do it for fun. What would you do? And the words out of my mouth was just open a gallery. And I'd never thought about it before. That was never something that was really on my mind as that seemed like a whole other strata of being in the art world. But what was happening at the time is this magazine Juxtapose had been coming out for a few years. And you're probably familiar with Juxtapose magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was one of my influential uh, magazines during that time for me personally. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that was, you know, something that I, I waited the minute it came out, I grabbed it. I sat down, I read everything. I poured over the ads. I poured over the pictures. I was constantly having my mind blown because I grew up being aware of the art world and a lot of classical art. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, but I also had a taste for the counterculture. So grew up in the eighties. And so it was very influenced by punk and new wave and I would buy, you know, magazines that back in the day, the face, uh, sorry, yeah, there's the face magazine. I think that was, and then ID magazine and then details, which chronicled the New York club scene before it became a men's magazine. So I would pour over these things. So here was this art form that was melding both worlds. I couldn't, I could not fucking believe what I was seeing. And I, I just loved it. So I I said, oh, yeah, I, I want to open a gallery and this is the kind of work I want to show. Just gotten this money. I was like, okay. I went for a walk downtown. I was walking through the Belltown area of Seattle and I, I saw a little sign, this space for rent. And I called on it and it turned out it was very short-term space that was available for six months for $200 a month. Wow. Yeah. And it was because it was a building that was going to be torn down and, and turned into like a skyscraper but all of the uh, previous tenants had moved out and the developer thought, you know, well, we're not going to do anything with this space for six months and squatters are going to move in. Yeah. So why don't we lease it to small business owners who want like an incubator to try to have a storefront for their business just to see how it goes? So I got one of those spaces and interestingly, two other galleries also moved in to to that block, which was really cool. And one's still active. And the other one I think is still active. They moved to Texas and they're online. But um of so all that, places, that was Texas. Cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> well Dallas, that's a good scene, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. So what happened? So uh so I got the space and I was just like, oh God, okay, now I now I have to curate a show. And I had uh uh there we had a magazine called uh was it the I think it was the weekly and um 
you know, I was sitting there like, how am I going to do this? And I opened up the weekly and there was an article in it by uh, a guy named Larry Reed, who was an arts writer, but he had also run a lot of art organizations. He had had a counterculture gallery in the, I believe the early eighties. And he ran our contemporary art center here called COCA, which still exists, but it's heyday was sort of when Larry Reed was running it. And, you know, he brought Einstein Neubaut into town and the custom culture show, which was sort of the kickoff for the whole lowbrow scene that juxtaposed went on to Chronicle. Uh, He just did a lot of amazing things. And he had written an article about how when he started, the landscape in Seattle was very, very conservative. And and the art scene in Seattle is is extremely conservative. And you you should try walking to a few galleries in this town. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But for, you know, Seattle being known for rock and roll and and you know its music scene for forever, you would think that that would bleed over uh, a little bit. It didn't so much, even though we have amazing talent here. So so I contacted him and he ended up being a, a really good mentor for me and support because I, you know, basically I was starting a gallery. I had no experience. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never worked in a gallery. I didn't yeah. know anyone who worked in a gallery. Yeah. But my sort of guiding philosophy in my life has been like, how hard can it be? Like, <laughs> you know, like I'm just going to, who's to stop me? I'm just going to do it. And uh, I understand the basics of you, you pay your bills and you pay your artists. And when you don't have any money, you shut the doors. And that, that was really it. That's so, yeah, that's basically simply put that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing how many uh, galleries don't understand that very simple concept. <laughs> so oh, Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's another story, but <laughs> I painted the walls white. I got some art. I contacted the the thing we did have in town uh, was Fanographics, which oh, that's right. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, is was the mecca of sort of the underground comic book scene that oh, was yeah. very popular in the '90s and and early 2000s. And yeah. so I got to call some amazing artists from there, and I had a show, and I started reaching out to people that I had seen in Juxtapose, and they're like, "Hey, Seattle! Wow, sounds great. A, real, <laughs> a gallery in Seattle wants to show my work. Awesome." You know. Meanwhile, I'm just like. Okay, let's do this thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's make the flyers, so, put them on the telephone yep. poles, and let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's how it started. So very humble beginnings. But because I was on the sort of, uh, you know, right before the juggernaut wave of lowbrow, which became pop serialism, which became, you know, new contemporary, whatever you want to call it now. Right. I got a lot of support. I have sort of distinct designations for all those terms, but I know that they're often used interchangeably yeah yeah so that's how i got my start um and you know a lot of it is i i started early and so you know it was really kind of a club (laughs) at the time you know if you like the scene and and you were you know good at something you were you were in and and it was very uh because i wasn't in la it wasn't i wasn't uh, competition with anybody um so i got a lot of support from people and I had a lot of fun and I didn't make any money, but it was great because of my artist background. I understand the artist's mind. And so it made me very uh, friendly and sympathetic, I think, more so than people who don't understand what the creative process is like sort of emotionally on an artist. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And 
I became more and more professional yeah. <laughs> as, as I needed to, as, as the scene sort of grew, it was kind of like, well, I've got to get serious. This whole thing is getting extremely serious. So yeah. I did. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the beginning. I, I'm sure I, I'm sorry. I rambled on and on and on, but it was kind of a strange story how it, how it came to pass. No, that is actually a beautiful story. I mean, the fact that you got, you know, fan graphics involved and the, Having uh, your your parents or your stepdad actually uh, giving you some money that he invested in you, then which you in turn you invested in something that at that time there wasn't a whole lot about it. And it was just a small community. Like you said, it basically came out of California that was just still kind of tight and small. And so you were yeah. able to, like you said, serendipity, get into that. And I, I, I thank you for doing that and taking that risk because, you know, there are people out there who won't take that risk. You know, some people would have taken the money that they would got, they probably just would put it in some kind of bank account and leave it alone. But you're like, no, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do this because right. you believed in it. And I have a ton of respect for that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's interesting too. It was good timing for me in my life as well, because I had just sort of been floating around and I was kind of coming to the realization that, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually really going to be a serious painter, but I also knew that I wanted to have a better life. And and so part of the reason I attribute the gallery to working, because, you know, galleries are extremely difficult to run and, and keep open. One was I gave up, I gave up making art making. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I can't do my own work and yeah. promote myself as an artist and do right by the artists and, and the gallery. Like I need all my energy and will and focus on this gallery to keep it going. And then the second thing was, is this has got to work. <laughs> this must work. Going to be 30 in a few years. I don't want to be a waitress my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this must work. And so I had an incredible drive. I sort of opened thinking, well, I'll try this for the summer and see how it goes. But it very quickly became quite serious for me to where everything, you know, all that mattered was this gallery worked and stayed open. And that one thing I think a lot of galleries don't really think about is that your reputation is everything. And so, you know, I'm very honest with my artists. I pay them their money, you know, just like the key component on time. of yeah. having a gallery, yeah. which, which is, you know, the key complaint of artists is that, you know, you hear the story time and time again of, of artists getting screwed over by galleries or oh, yeah. galleries, which is, you know, running a gallery is difficult. You're, you're paying rent and bills and advertising and insurance, and you're trying to make a living yourself. And yeah. A lot of times, if you have a bad month, that's it for you, you know, and you sometimes you're like, okay, I got to rob Peter to pay Paul. I got to, yeah. you know, pay last month's bills. And so I'll use the money I got this month and I'll just have to put this artist off. But I don't operate that way. If, if, if I get paid, half of it goes to the artist. That's untouchable money. To me, it's a very simple concept, but. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it that's the problem. It's too work. simple of a concept. That's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's, it's not, it's not difficult to run a gallery except that it is, you know, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wanted to ask, so you were in that space for six months. So yeah. uh, what happened after that? So you were, did you go, okay, I think this is it. I'm going to 
definitely go in um, full tilt and you just had to look for another space or? Yeah, I did. So I, so again, I was in the neighborhood of Belltown, which had sort of a, a, a really thriving full, you know, scene a few blocks down and I was walking around and I saw you know, empty space and it had been leased by the woman who owned this business called Shorty's, which was hot dogs and pinball with the circus theme. And I went in and I talked to her and she Interesting was name cool. for that. Yeah. yeah. I was, yeah. She had two, uh, two dachshunds and one of them was named Shorty. Oh, so okay. that's where Shorty's got its name. If you're at all into Seattle history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Martha, uh, she said, oh, that sounds super cool. And she leased me half the space oh. so I could afford it. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Like I, I, like I had such insane support just coming out of the woodwork at that time. I, I wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for people who dug the vision and decided to, you know, kind of throw in behind me. And Martha was one of them, and she made it so I could afford this space, which was in a pretty incredible location. So I, I moved into that space and I was there for years. And then strangely, I uh, ended up moving down the block and I had two spaces the next block down. And it was just sort of all wow. this. I just kind of kept finding these cool spaces that were affordable for me at the time. And um, with people who would kind of let me have affordable rent because they were like, yeah, well, this is our way of supporting the arts. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was able to grow because I wasn't spending all my all my money on rent like I do now. <laughs> Well, right, yeah, Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Seattle's a completely different beast than it was back in those days. It, it, it's completely different, and it's a shame in that you know there's a lot of a lot of good things that are coming out of the growth of Seattle, but one of the bad things is that rents are astronomical, and and Seattle used to be so great because you could afford to do things here. New businesses could take chances. Right. And yeah. It's getting more and more difficult to do that, and that kind of kills a lot of a lot of culture. Yeah, it definitely sucks. stagnates it. Yeah, it definitely stagnates it. And, you know, you have to rely on developers to find value into using arts to help. But then, you know, it's this kind of duality thing. They're using artists and or galleries to help get people to come in. And then at the same time, they're the same ones who are helping raise the rent for everybody. So it's kind of this bad cycle. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. happening and it's, everywhere. it's very much, oh, sorry. No, I was just saying it's just happening. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's rough because it's like their contribution is really kind of like, you know, someone flipping a quarter over their shoulder to like the peons. Like, you know, maybe they'll buy a piece of art to install in their space to make their space look cool, but they're not really supporting the community. No. So. Well, they're supporting somebody or a different community, but not not a, an organic, cohesive a community that's going to be around long after. You know? Right. And that's one of yeah. the beautiful things about I, back in those days when I was like reading stuff by Robert Williams and, and his kind of his approach and philosophy about his art and why he was doing it about, you know, I don't want to do some kind of bank art. And it's like, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm for all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, nowadays I have, uh, you know, if I were to talk to my younger self, it's like, well, cool your jets a little bit there, buddy. There's a little more to that story. So, <laughs> but, right. but, um, yeah. But it, it, but it still, it, it was something that helped kind of drove me down a path to where pretty much here I am now talking to you about. So it's, it's all serendipitous in that regards too. But I, I also want to know, what was it like working with uh, a lot of these artists that you work with now and it, it, especially with that first show? What was it just the kind of energy or 
you just were straight up with them. Uh, what was it like? In terms of like luring them in or just everybody's sort of thoughts and feelings at that, that in an early point in an art scene? Yeah, I, I was, I'm curious about how, how, did, how did you lure them in? I mean, did you have like <laughs> uh, a bread trail that led to the gallery or, uh, you know, that kind well, of stuff? Basically, it was it was pretty easy because there weren't a lot of spaces to show back then. There was only I don't know five galleries. There's a, you know, the La Luz de Jesus and Mary Karnowski and Copro Nason, which is now Copro Gallery, yeah, in Los Angeles. And there was C Pop in Detroit. And before Jonathan Levine opened his spaces, or um, who else? I mean, so many have come and gone. Um, uh, and then there was me. And so f- for artists, it was exciting to be like, oh, I can have a show out of town. Seattle sounds cool. And as I said, there just weren't a lot of outlets at the time. So it was quite easy. And the other thing is, is that I'm very straightforward and honest and I don't put on airs and I'm not a hustler type. And none of us were at that time. You know, that's a, a thing that kind of came in as as money started to happen in the scene, people started to sort of do status jockeying and yeah. and presenting and 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 that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm very honest about what I could and couldn't provide, and I did my best. And I think, you know, people appreciate that if you're straight up with them. And so, yeah, so it, it was easy. And I, in fact, I had people approaching me as well. Word gets around, and you know, I started appearing in juxtapose, like in the party <sighs> pictures. I would send in, like, here's some pictures from the opening, and and then that made us look real cool. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it did, that, that basically submitted well. yourself in that in that community for real. Yeah, because even I have some vague memories of that. Because and, and you know, I, I don't know what happened to juxtapose, and this is not the time and space to talk about that. But it definitely is is it's definitely kind of a weird thing that happened, but, you know, but then all of a sudden out of the blue high Fucos came about and it's yeah. like, they picked up the mantle in that. I wanted to ask how, how did you get, did you get approached or did you uh, reach out to high Fucos back in the early days when they started? Uh, how did you get involved with them? Yeah. Well, so the juxta was shift was very, um, is very easy to explain. And that is that they just changed their editorship over. So they had an editor, Jamie O'Shea, um, who was sort of, uh, driving a lot of, with the guidance of, you know, Robert Williams and, um, the late great, uh, Greg Escalante oh, yes. was driving it to be very sort of lowbrow and, and very, you know, outsider and kind of the, the real fringy art. They really gave that a platform. And then they, Jamie left and they brought in a new editor who had sort of more of a street art aesthetic. Uh, and so it just kind of shifted. And I think that's kind of, you know, the winds at that time were shifting towards that street art was starting to become the huge thing that it, it did. And, and so they decided to ride that wave, but you know, that kind of left us people, you know, who were still working in sort of the lowbrow scene sort of like, well, you're not really covering what we're doing anymore. So it, you know, it's just things change and evolve. And, and so that's what was happening. And then, but that created a space for high fructose to come about. And I had seen a few issues of their magazine and I was just blown away by the incredible care that they put in the layout and like even the paper that they used. I know. 
gorgeous. I, yeah, let's just, like, I want to talk about that. Rip those pages oh, out and frame them. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, for the record, when I do buy one and have one, I, I don't do that. I actually yeah. keep it all intact. So it, yeah. it is also its own collector item for that matter. But yeah, they, they their approach and their aesthetics about that magazine is, is beautiful. So uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt about that, but. So you oh, no, you started to uh, see the issues as well, and and like you, I was blown away. I was like, "Where do these people come from? This is awesome." Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, and you should talk to them too because they're. I'm sure they've got all kinds of great stories, and oh, and uh, you know they're artists. To. Yeah, I just don't, so, yeah, I just don't know how I can reach them. I don't want to like you know. Like hi, I'm this little like little radio show out of Arlington, <laughs> Virginia, that's across yeah. the river from DC. Uh, would you like right. to talk? But yeah. So, um, so well, they're you, great. Um, well, did you um, approach them or did they approach you? Because, uh, uh, you know, you were kind of writing for them or were you editing? I, I, I have the notes. Yeah. So so I think about like issue four or something. I had reached out to them and I had put out uh, I put out the book a few years just prior called Pop Surrealism. That came out in 2004. And so that was like the first survey of the whole scene that was happening at the time. Yeah. And so it, it was a thing like the, the book yeah. Pop Surrealism renamed the movement from lowbrow to Pop Surrealism, basically. And that's a whole other story. But I reached right. and out I'll to ask them. you about that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I reached out to them and I just said, hey, I oh, my God, I love what you're doing. Um, can I any way I can be helpful. And I had been doing some writing anyways. I was writing for like Make Magazine and Rue Morgue Horror Magazine <laughs> about artists <clears throat> just as a hobby. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Can I stop you there for a second? You wrote for Make Magazine, the magazine that that's uh, for people who are little craftsmen and creatives who would yes. make. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I learned something today. Yeah. And Rue Morgue, which is an amazing horror magazine. Yeah, and I would write yeah. about artists who worked in the horror genre. Like just just. Again, it was it was very much a hobby for me. It was something to sort of exercise some creativity, but it was still promoting the arts. And so I said, any way I can help? And they said, great, we'd love you to write about so-and-so. And I said, great. And so I started writing for them. And I wrote for them for seven years. And so at the time, they, it, you know, this was like issue four or something like that. It's very early on. And they weren't as well-known as they are now. And so as an honorific, they gave me the title of like editor at large, which, <laughs> which, which is, like I said, it's very much an honorific. It was not an editor in any way, shape or form. It was really a writer, but it was, it was because I'd been around and I had written this book and it was nice to have me on the masthead at that time, I think is, you know, it, they were just being real cool, but they were, you know, uh, Annie and Atta, Atta Boy are definitely the, the drivers behind that whole vision. So I yeah. started writing for them, and I did that for seven years until I just kind of burnt out on it. Uh, well, maybe you just you know, wrote all you had to write, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I'm I'm writing about this very specific art scene, and there's a lot of similarities in all the art, and there's only so many different ways <laughs> you can say it. So, well, yeah, I, I hear you on that front. Yeah. I mean, it's like you yeah. said, it, you can know there's only so many ways to describe an apple. So. <laughs> exactly. So uh, speaking of which, uh, we've been already talking about like lowbrow and you've uh, mentioned pop surrealism. Uh, how did you arrive to pop surrealism? What was the story behind that? How did that come to fruition in terms of changing it from lowbrow to that? Okay. Well, 
the the scene had been known as lowbrow, which I believe was coined by Robert Williams. And yeah, I think he yeah he was the one who kind of started using that word. Yeah. Yeah, and so what that was about was sort of um, sort of a middle finger <laughs> in a way to the art world of yeah. like we ha- we don't have aspirations to be in museums. We're doing what we want, and I one of the things I really loved about it was that it not only not only did these artists who were coming out of comic book world or the hot rod world or these kinds of things that that require a lot of discipline and technical skill so they're taking that and and translating into paint so all these these artists you know they might be drawing pictures of tiki's and hot rods and chicks and and that kind of thing but and and a lot of kitsch culture. So they're taking a lot of counterculture stuff. And then they're, what I would say is like, they're sort of fetishizing this working class mentality. You know, a lot of them grew up in the 60s and 70s and, you know, watch these kinds of cartoons played with these kinds of toys or attracted to these sorts of things like, you know, monsters and skateboards and that kind of thing. And And they were taking that from their childhood and and repurposing it and making art out of it and to me that was really you know sort of sub- subversive and transgressive and it worked because they were so freaking good you know they oh, yeah. their, their artistry was amazing and oh, their yeah. vision was incredible and it was exciting like my heart would race every time i would open a juxtapose i would just be so thrilled and excited and and um you know again coming from sort of the the punk and new wave scenes you know i kitsch culture is a is big part of it and and so you know you have these artists who are you know taking sort of the sappy sentimentality of like margaret Keane paintings which i hated (laughs) you know growing up and then they're making art out of it and they're turning it on its ear and they're they're not making fun of it they're just shifting it and, and talking about the meaning that that these things had in in their life and their psyches while talking about other things. So that was lowbrow. And over the years, as as juxtapose grew and people started going, "Wow, there's there's a thing here. There's a scene here. There's collectors here. There, there's a whole movement building." Yeah, I think a lot of artists who were working as commercial illustrators, people like. Todd Shore and Mark Ryden and, you know, Shag and, and people like that, Glenn Barr started going, hey, you know, I, I can make paintings about whatever I like and like maybe show them in galleries. Like I, <laughs> I don't have to just do commercial art. I can do fine art and it doesn't have to be still lifes of apples or landscapes. I can I can get weird <laughs> and so right. and t- really talk about my interests and and that sort of thing. So it started pulling in artists who didn't come from these counterculture scenes who maybe had a, a, a maybe a more um, uh, conventional childhood. I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't even say that, but that maybe would have had a more conventional path. Um, they were able to come in. And so they, it started pulling in different styles of art and artists who maybe had been really influenced by 19th century painting and uh, more traditional ways of painting, they were starting to come in. And people like Mark Ryden, I, I really give him a lot of credit because he started working 
you know, a lot of people look at a Mark Raiden painting and they, they go, oh, okay, there's a big eyed little girl and there's like a weird creepy teddy bear. And then yeah. there's like a slab of meat and the Abraham Lincoln and yeah. some numbers and some weird geometric shapes. And, yeah. and they just go, oh, the formula is just to put a lot of this weird discordant stuff in. Huh. And suddenly I'm a pop surrealist. <laughs> and the thing is, is that that's not true. All those things have exceptional meaning for the artist. Yeah. And, and he's really working with a lot of archetypal themes yeah. that he is replacing with a lot of iconic pop iconography. So his paintings have meaning and that's why Mark Ryden painting works when his imitators do not work is because there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, say there's a message being transmitted. It's not like, look at the weird shit. It's, right. There's a message that, that your subconscious is picking up on. And so people like him were starting to come in and that shifted things. So when I decided to write the book, it was originally going to be called Lowbrow, a survey of, of this burgeoning art scene. And a few artists were like, well, you know, we don't really want to be called lowbrow anymore. Like we spend so much time and energy on our craft that we feel like lowbrow is a little bit dismissive. Yeah. And I don't know that I agreed, but I understood it. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to call this book something. And uh, <laughs> I called various dealers and scene movers. And I was like, hey, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think I talked to Robert Williams. I talked to Billy Shire of La Luz de Jesus. And I talked to Greg Escalante and I was just like, I got to figure out what to call this. And they were all kind of like, good luck. <laughs> so, <laughs> wouldn't want to be you. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, and so I was just like, oh crap, this is, you know, and I happened to be reading a book about Kenny Scharf, who is a very well-known artist. He kind of came up in the New York art scene in the 70s, 80s, so like sort of contemporary of Keith Haring. And um, part of that kind of, uh, you know, a I, 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 very theatrical, really cool thing that was happening in, in New York at the time. And, and and most people, if they see Kenny Scharf, they, they might not recognize his name, but you probably recognize his, his work. So he had written a book and, and he was talking about his own artwork and he used the term pop surrealism to describe his own work. I was like, that sounds good. I'm going <laughs> to steal that. And, you know, he, Kenny Sharp's work, if you look at it, he's not of the pop surrealism scene, but he is absolutely, without doubt, spiritual godfather of it. So I use that term, and it, it was the one term, like I had a few, most that I don't remember, and I'm sure they were ghastly, but that was the one that everyone liked. So I was like, fine, I'll, I'll call it that. Yeah. And that's how the term came to be. And, and, you know, High Fructose picked up on it and Mark Ryden started calling himself a pop surrealist and same with like Camille Rose Garcia, like these big players in the scene. And, and that's kind of what it, it became. And I actually regretted it a lot in that I don't know that – I probably would have, if I could do it again, I've called it pop symbolism because I think a lot of these artists are more akin to the symbolists of the 19th century than they were the surrealists of the yeah. 20th century. But yeah. that's another conversation. But anyway, it stuck. And then as the street art influence came in and, and it just sort of exploded into just fine art, you know, and, and I think pop surrealism wasn't serving as a term that covered everybody anymore. So I think, I don't know who came up with new contemporary, um, but that's, I think the term that's 
being i mean it's really just contemporary art at this point right it's, it yeah, yeah it it's i'm sure it's someone to help you know they had to call it something they want to they wanted to make it different and calling it yeah. new contemporary that's just that's okay that's a little counterintuitive to me but you know uh, you yeah. know, they didn't ask me what to call it because, uh, like you were just mentioning earlier, it's like if, when I look at a lot of the stuff, I see a lot of the symbols. I may not yeah. understand that they're symbols, but yet if I take the time, simply put, take the time, you start to decipher what they're saying in those paintings, and right. it doesn't take much. It's it well, really that's doesn't. the thing is is that because you know this, what's interesting about this art movement is that it came up in the in in the rise of the internet era. Yeah, which uh you know, is, was a whole other ball game. And because of the way this art movement grew and its origins and the fact that it came, it rose up at the same time the internet did, is that you, how, how, I don't know, um, anybody can call themselves a pop surrealist. Anybody can throw a bunch of weird imagery or like, I'm painting a big eyed girl. And Right. Call it whatever you want to call it and brand yourself that way before it took, you know, a critic saying that you were, you know, maybe part of the school or you had a, you know, like not anyone could just call themselves a pre-Raphaelite. There was sort right. of like, yeah. you kind of had to be part of this group. Yeah. And so that changed for, for good and for bad. And because this artwork, you know, the scene was pretty vilified by the fine art world for a long time, it didn't get taken very seriously in a lot of critic circles. And I have many opinions about why that was, but uh, so it was very, it was real free range. And so you have a lot of people who think, oh, pop surrealism is big eyed girls, you know, with bloody teddy bears, which is actually a quote that somebody uh, said to me. Uh, I'm like, it's, it's not, it, no, it, that's not it at all. And so, but you can see a lot of the work that is not good. There's not a lot of discernment. And because a lot of galleries in my scene started kind of like I did, you know, a lot, a lot of the galleries don't have, art degrees or art backgrounds, I think I'm probably one of the more versed in art history dealers in this scene. And that's not saying very much, you know, I mean, I... But it's saying it's, something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, more enthusiasts, I think, who are like, I love this art, I want to create a space for it, but the discernment's not always there. Yeah. And the ability to be like, well, you know, this artist is good, but they're complete. They're copying this other artist wholesale. And, you know, because younger artists were seeing other artists doing well, they would just copy them. And then those copies would start to get shown. Yeah. And, you know, you have the the Internet stardom and, and artists thinking, I just want to be famous for being an artist. and <laughs> And that kind of polluted the waters quite a bit to be honest. Um, well, and we're still wading through those waters yeah. now, by the way, just, you know. Oh, oh, I know. <laughs> I know. But at the same time, you know, so I have a lot of complaints about that, but I also think that as a result of all this, we are really living in a golden age of art making. I am constantly blown away by what I see happening and online and the talent that these young artists have oh my god it's incredible and i'm not even just talking about like the pop surrealism scene like any of the sort of digital arts and and this sort of unfettered imagination that's allowed to go forth i don't think that that's really being documented as a something that's happening at this 
point in history. Hmm. I don't know that there's a lot of sort of political statements. There's there's a lot of environmental statements being made, but I don't know about political. So it's not kind of pushed to the forefront of consciousness right now. Yeah. But I just think what's happening in art is absolutely astounding. And that would not have happened without the rise of, one, the internet, but also galleries who, you know, or people who might not have wanted to come up through the gallery system and, and learn the old ways. Right. You know, who are just like, fuck it, I'm opening a gallery right now and yeah. taking a chance. <laughs> yeah, it, you know? seriously. So that that brought good as well as bad. So, um. With that, you also have a, a nonprofit. So could you tell me a little bit about your nonprofit that you you started? Yeah. So concurrent with art, I've always had an interest in, in animals and wildlife. And uh, I, through the gallery, started raising money to support some nonprofits that were aiding wildlife, particularly African wildlife namely elephants to start. And so I started, uh, I did a print with Mark Ryden and we raised a bunch of money for the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, which is now Sheldrick Trust, to help with their work in Africa. Um, simply put, help orphaned elephants, of which there's so many because of poaching and human wildlife conflict. And and they raise these creatures, which is extremely difficult and time consuming. And now they've grown into a massive organization that does a lot of rescue and veterinary work. And they're, they're quite a powerhouse. So oh, wow. started that way. And then I started traveling to Africa as a result of that. And that's sort of my other passion um, <laughs> besides art is, you know, we're li- we're living in difficult times, and uh, I don't want to see our environmental world fall apart. Which it's maybe a losing battle. I don't know. <laughs> well, you go down swinging, basically. <laughs> like anything I can do to to help people who are fighting the good fight, of which there's many. Yeah. Um, to save wildlife is is what I want to do. So I started a. In fact, I closed the gallery for. Uh, in in 2016 to focus on this nonprofit. And then I came back uh, about a year ago and reopened the gallery because I don't take any money from the nonprofit. All that all that money gets given away, but I, I need to make a living. So I, I came back to the art world. The, the nonprofit's still in existence. We not only donate to various charities around the world, um, and we've been a little bit dormant lately, but that's about to change as we change our model from asking for, you know, basically handouts that give us, give us money to uh, we're taking people on safari trips. I have a pretty amazing group of connections, particularly in Kenya. And we go on safaris and you get to see, you can see wildlife projects in person as well as just see wildlife in the wild. And it's, they're absolutely incredible trips. And so I, I, that's my, that's my side hustle. Yeah. It's called Creatura Wildlife Projects. It's creaturawild.org. If anyone wants to check it out and yeah, they better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. So yeah. So those are the two things that I do. So with, with that, uh, with, with your, your two passions uh, in that you've been doing, uh, my, my, one of my favorite questions that I told you before we started the interview is, is this one. Well, one of the two favorite ones. And, and this one is, uh, what is your philosophy and aesthetics on art? You can make this answer as short or as long as you like. <laughs> Um, well, I have, I have sort of, I have my own personal aesthetics, which is, you know, I'm attracted to work that's technically 
very well done and has sort of speaks to a beautiful darkness. Hmm. That's kind of what I like. Um, but that said, I think art, you know, art is important just generally, uh, there's art making and there's the art world and and those are two distinct things. And if you're an artist, you can get caught up in the art world, which is kind of all bullshit to be honest. Yeah. It kind of is. It's a game. And if you want to be in the art world, you have to understand it's a game with rules and those rules are there for a reason. They're they're not built to keep people down. They're built to be to make the capitalist part of it flow. And, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, artists feel very like left out and, you know, there's these gatekeepers. And again, there's different strata of the art world, too. You know, there's the blue chip art world, which you can pretty much just forget about. And then there's but there's different art worlds you can be a part of as well. Yeah. But then there's art making. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. And that is when you are making art, you're practicing creation and you're in the zone and you're allowing that energy to flow through you, which is, I think the reason most artists do make art is, is those moments that are transcendent and a successful piece of art captures some sort of message. It transmits something from the artist to the viewer that cannot be captured in, in words necessarily. Yeah. And, it can be anything. It can it, you can do a painting of an egg and it might transmit a message to a viewer. So I base successful art on that ability of of the art able to to do this purpose and then there's my aesthetics which is I'm attracted to this beautiful darkness <laughs> and uh you put it so romantically actually it's oh thank you <laughs> well i mean we don't show grotesque or macabre art but we do show we do speak to the darker sides of of things but yeah. in a very beautiful well-crafted way right you know whether that's sort of environmental degradation or just gothic musings <laughs> so right. it doesn't well, matter right. i like all of it so there's the big picture and then there's my particular picture that i'm i i'm drawn to and i think my collectors respond to yeah and i think those collectors were doing that um yeah yeah i mean i my general philosophy on that, it's I, i'm always interested about human creativity about humans are able to just to create and make things out of nothing into something so yeah. that's that's kind of like my basic in a nutshell kind of philosophy about it my personal aesthetics are more highly illustrative personally you know i i am drawn to that kind of stuff but I also am drawn to something that I call a mystery. I love solving mysteries, with, especially with paintings that allow you to do that. So that that's kind of like my aesthetics. You know, if I see a mystery, I want to try to solve that and figure it out. Yeah. Because that's, that's for me, that's, that's how I get close to that. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. And this is the, uh, the, the other question that I love asking people. And um, it's not going to be an easy question to ask. What advice would you give your past self and to other artists or to artists? Mm, let's see. Well, the, oh gosh, advice to myself. Yeah. Past self. Past self. Um, that's a difficult one because I think I really lucked out on my path. Um, uh, <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to be an easy question to answer. <laughs> get it in writing, I guess. <laughs> Probably <laughs> that would be that would be it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. This it's, uh, and and this isn't sounding egotistical at all, but I don't have a lot of advice because 
uh, my, I sort of wouldn't do it differently. I don't think, uh, like I said, I, I had, had a lot of luck and a lot of support from people who believed in what I was doing. Yeah. I, I you know, get it in writing. I, I wish there's a few times that there's, you know, the main problems I had were sort of miscommunications with artists about how things work. And so if it's in writing, everybody's on the same page and maybe I, that would have solved some issues. Um, yeah, that I, hmm. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't have much for myself. It's you know like I sometimes say if I knew then what I know now, yeah, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but because it it you know it's it's hard. Like I you know would wake up for the first seven years that I was open, like wake up at two o'clock every morning, freaking out how I was going to pay the rent. Yeah, and and finally got to a point where that was like less and less of a concern. Like okay, I know we're good for X amount of time, and and that's a big thing. But maybe. But I, I also felt like I, I needed that worry. <laughs> like I, that worry helped drive my will to make it work. So I don't have a satisfactory answer to that. <laughs> but for artists, my advice really boils down to, okay, one, if you're going to be in the art world, you need to understand what you're dealing with and you need to educate yourself about it. And again, there's art making. And then there's the art world, right? Two different things. And so I encourage absolutely everybody to make art if they're drawn to do it. And who cares? Who fucking cares what anybody else thinks? Right. In the art world, it does matter what people think. And your art might not be palatable for general consumption and or a collector base, or it might be not appropriate for a gallery. And you just can't take it personally. That in the end is not what matters. What matters is your art practice. But if you do get into the art world and you work with galleries and, and, you know, you want to be part of that, you just have to sort of educate yourself about how it works. You have to talk to your other artists about dealers and, and, you know, publications that you're going to be working with. I think there's this weird sort of idea that there's no information about how an artist makes it, which is not true. There's, there's a ton of great resources, especially with the internet. And, and if you want to save yourself a lot of heartache, educate yourself on how to approach galleries. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I turn down stuff constantly and it's just like this artwork is, has nothing to do with my gallery. In fact, I'm offended that you obviously didn't even spend any time on my website. Well, but you're right. demanding that I look at your artwork and spend my time. Like, you know, it's just, it's just, you have to have a sort of respect for what you're, you're doing in other people's time. Oh, definitely. And I've seen that firsthand too, with people walking in and expecting, you know, oh, well, you're a gallery, you just show my work. It's like, but this gallery is not set up to just do landscapes, you know, and it's at nothing, all. It, and right. you didn't spend any time. You don't even know who I am. Yeah. You know, you, you can't even write my name in the letter. <laughs> or you spell it wrong or, oh. you know, or it's obviously a form letter. Like, yeah. you know, I get that it's discouraging, but you're going to have less discouragement if you are only targeting the places that might actually show your work. If you're just doing this sort of blanket, I'm just going to show it to everybody and see what sticks. You're going to get a lot of rejection. Yeah. So you can save yourself some pain <laughs> by, by doing your research and, you know, presenting professionally and, and that kind of thing. Like, you know, I get stuff on Instagram, look at my art. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't you send me an email and tell me a little bit about yourself and a link to your work? That's great. 
Yeah, one, you know? one, yeah, one of my rules is, is that you have to have at least a website. It's one thing to have social media presence, but you at least got to have a website that uh, that yeah. I can I can go and look at the work, you know, because mm-hmm. especially doing this show, it, it's this is an audio kind of form. So I want people to go to the, the persons or, or get to the websites to see the work because I can we can describe all day, you know, all the work, but it's you still have to go see it. So you need to give me a website. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, too, is there's a sort of like, oh, I'll just sell it myself online. And, you know, it's like, OK, do that, like sell it yourself or work with a gallery. It's this sort of both thing doesn't doesn't really work. And then uh, the other thing is, is, yeah, like, you know, same thing. Get it in writing. Talk to other artists about people you're going to be working with. Understand how things work. So you're you're not, you know taken unawares um i think the thing i hear the most is you know artists grousing about is just not getting paid so you kind of got to do your research and and talk to other people i think artists are pretty good about talking to each other and warning each other if if something's amiss with a gallery or institution so you should do that and and you got to take a lot of responsibility for for what you're you're doing and, and like you just said, get it in writing. So. Get it in writing. Yeah. I mean, the, the art world is different. Like I often operate without a contract. Um, I, I do have oh, memorandums you're, you're of living understanding. On the <laughs> but, you know, I've been around a long time. And I, I've true. been working with the same people yeah. and my reputation is real good. But as a result, I, I sort of, you know, am aware that I should put it. We should have a little piece of paper that says, okay, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. And that artist should be aware of what they are paying for. Like they're giving 50% of their sale. Yeah, That's a lot. And there's a reason it's that amount. And it's the gallery is, should be paying their rent, paying all the bills to keep the lights and, you know, the doors open so people can come see the work, presenting it in a very professional manner, promoting it in a professional manner, advertising in the way that they can, and that should be talked about at the time of the artist signing, you know, working with a collector base that they themselves have fostered as well. Like there's always crossover, like an artist will always bring collectors. And But the gallery should bring be bringing collectors that the artists otherwise wouldn't have access to. Right. And just things like that. So you know why you're giving your 50%. So there's not sour grapes later, you know. Um, well, and, and I would add what you're agreeing to and then what you're not going to do. You know, it's yeah. it's not like you're going to go and spend money on getting billboards for artists. You know, that's that's not going to be an agreement. Right. There, you know. Yeah. 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 So and again, I, I tend to work with artists at a certain point in their career that that this is all kind of understood. Yeah, I'm speaking more to, to sort of newer artists who are sort of making making their you know entrance into this world. Well, yeah, and I wish them all the luck in the world for that. Absolutely. I would like to say thank you to Kirsten for taking the time for the interview. If you'd like to learn more information about the gallery, you can go to the website at rockthrough.com. That's R-O-Q-L-A-R-U-E.com. The Instagram page is rockthrough as well. For wildlife nonprofit, it's creaturewild.org, which is C-R-E-A-T-U-R-A-W-I-L-E.org. To hear the full length of this episode and the episode, go to rfox.com. Mixcloud.com backslash Artbox and the DMV.
Zeit.